Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and an 18-month lease. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills. If canceled earlier, remain a balance to unlimited basic after $630.20. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay data deprioritization during congestion speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to The Masogi Method with work happiness expert Jody B. Miller. Each week, Jody introduces you to amazing people who have broken through huge barriers to achieve meaning, success, and happiness in their lives. For every one of us, the path to lasting joy has always been there, but it may take a Masogi to get you on it. Jody did it, her guest did it, and now you can too. Here's your host, Jody B. Miller. Welcome to the Masogi Method, breaking through barriers to find meaning, success, and happiness that lasts. I'm your host, Jody B. Miller. Today, I have the honor of interviewing Jeffrey Berwin, one of the foremost experts on how the power of storytelling can take your public speaking presentations to a level you never thought possible. I mean, we're talking actually walking out on stage with nerves, but confidence that you know you're going to nail it, all because Jeffrey coaches you every step of the way. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Great to be with you, Jody. And you remind me of there was an article, it may have been in the Wall Street Journal a year or two ago, that they took a survey of a lot of people and their five top fears. And do you know, public speaking was the first fear over death. Most people would rather die. Oh I'm like, oh my God. So I, I think public speaking itself could be regarded as a Masogi. Yes. Well, you know Masogi's well, because um, with full disclosure to our listeners, Jeffrey coached me, and we're going to get into that process later so that any of you who are looking to speak more on, in the public arena, maybe do a TEDx talk, you're going to learn a lot today from Jeffrey. But just to put Jeffrey's expertise in perspective, I mean, you have coached thousands of authors, speakers, and business owners through one-on-one coaching and workshops, and more than 50 speakers who have landed and delivered TEDx talks. I mean, that's huge, Jeffrey. And it's really been exciting for me to help people really get their message out and their mission through speaking. And certainly the TEDx platform is so wonderful it's worldwide. And I'm so proud of you, how you did your TEDx talk. It's just this unique platform. It's not easy, but it's really about a central idea that's going to make a difference in the world. So it's been a real honor uh, to work with people. I have 13 clients about to do their TEDx talk in a couple of weeks and just cheering them on. And it really is, as you remember, the last week or so, it's constant revision and refining and polishing to get it to where it needs to be. Yes. And we'll get into talking about that process because it was just such an amazing experience. But I want to go back a little bit in time and, and ask you, how did you get your start A, in public speaking coaching, and the whole idea of storytelling is a key element. Yeah, thank you. And I'll try to shorten a longer story, um, but sort of fell into it. For those of you listening to the podcast who are in in the middle of reinventing yourself, I've been called the master of reinvention. I had to, I was uh, 
brought up to run my family retail stores out of Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia. And it came time in my young 40s to start closing them down. And I was trying to wonder what to do with my life. Ended up op opening a theater outside of Philadelphia to try to help a town have an economic renaissance. Did some unusual stuff there. And that got me on the radar of an organization called Historic Philadelphia, which partners with the National Park Service and for all the millions of tourists that come to Philadelphia. And we were tasked in 2004 to start a storytelling program called Once Upon a Nation. And Jody, I can claim, I never thought I could claim this in terms of the Misogi and the reinvention, but I could call myself a pioneer in the field of storytelling because in 2004, really wasn't a big um, discussion point yet for corporate and nonprofits around the world. And we created this tourism program, still running, and uh, I got to run that program for seven years and saw thousands of interactions. What works for a story? This is an outdoor storytelling project on top of it all, making a, a boring topic, American history, come to life. So it's, I've been in the trenches um, for many, many years doing this and, and now help people outside of the history field as well. You really impressed upon me the value of stories. And how important is that when someone is speaking, whether they're speaking to a small group, a company, a, an audience, a conference, a TEDx, how important is the story piece? I would say a primary importance because of what it uniquely does. So, you know, for a time, we would say as a, as a society, we were in the information age. And I don't believe we're in the information age any longer because of the internet and social media, et cetera. We are now in the over-information age. We're, we're, we're information oversaturated, overwhelmed, but we just have too much, right? And our brains get fried. What's great about storytelling, first of all, I call it primal technology because it's the oldest thing we do as communicators. And so when we're sharing our stories, and I notice I'm not, not telling our stories, but sharing our stories, the neuroscience behind it is our brains are being tapped at our oldest parts of our brains. And when we're sharing our stories as speakers, especially, certainly in books and everything like that, we're tapping our ancient brain and they've been doing MRIs. What happens to our brains when a story is being heard? It lights up in different areas and dopamine is being released. So in a nutshell, when you're sharing a story as a speaker, you're establishing an emotional connection with your audiences. So you're certainly brought in to teach stuff, right? Right. But um, I could open up anything online to learn something. What is the advantage that a speaker has? It's a human talking to other humans. And so the use of stories, especially maybe in the beginning of a talk, to establish that bond, it's extremely important. And then you go ahead and teach stuff. Um, but the storytelling aspect, which both illustrates ideas and also establishes an emotional connection, is why it's so important. Yeah, I really believe that having gone through the process. So, so let's say you get a new client and you have so many and you're in such high demand. Like you said, you have 13 more that are giving talks. When you get a new client, what is your process? I mean, I know what we went through, but do you have a standard process when you first meet someone that wants to give a speech? 
Well, of course, I always hope people are like you because we instantly figured we got each other. We were having fun right from the and you're texting and like, I just sent you something. I'm like, I see it. So, you know, and, and actually, even though that I'm half joking, I regard myself not as much as a coach as a collaborator. And in the ideal situation, like you and I, we just, it's like two halves of a brain working together. And that's the first part of my process is, is just really the bond with my clients so that we're really co-collaborators. Uh, secondly, you know what I like to see people do? Most people, I believe, especially if you're an entrepreneur or you have a small business or you're a speaker, typically you're, um, you are trying to be of service. You're trying to help. And so one of the early things I like to do is help people craft a, a mission statement, a mission tied to their business, how they are healing something broken in the world, and no matter what the field is. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is I help them create their mission statement, and then we create, I call it the why I do what I do story. We could also call it your origin story or one of your signature stories, but it's the approximately seven-minute story. We script it out. We talk out what should be the structure of it. That really could either either be in the beginning of a presentation or somewhere within the presentation. But remember, storytelling, it's not about the data and the statistics and the teaching and all the good advice. It's about people. Mm -hmm. And so it's about the emotional connection, as I said earlier. So a story is going to focus in on the who and the why. And then the teaching aspects of a, of a talk would be more about the how and the what but it's the who and the why. So those are the first two steps. And then obviously we, we create this wonderful ideal script that my clients try out and polish and we practice it. And that's part of a larger presentation. So certainly in a TEDx talk, for example, the story should not be the only part of the talk, but it should be in there um, and other people's stories as well to illustrate the idea that's um, being introduced in the TEDx talk. Yeah, so you don't want to have it be such that the speaker tells their story as the entire talk. Well, in fact, they wouldn't be accepted. The TEDx organizer would not accept that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's meant to be an idea. So focusing it on TEDx for a moment, for you, the Masogi, that's the central right. idea. The tagline for TED is ideas worth spreading. It's not stories worth spreading. It's ideas worth spreading. Um, so as, there's aspects, there's components of a good TED or TEDx talk. And I would say storytelling is an aspect of it, but doesn't need to dominate it. Yeah, I felt that after you and I went back and forth and worked on it and fine-tuned and then walked away and thought about it and came up with other aha, you know, directions, it, it evolves. You know, when you're giving a speech or you're giving a TEDx talk, I mean, the whole process seems to evolve. And what it ends up with, what you end up with is amazing to me, so different than the beginning. Totally different. Well, and you did a great job getting feedback from a variety of sources, practice, practice, practice. And what's really cool, the hardest part of landing a TEDx talk is, is landing the talk. Once you're accepted, what's cool is the organizing, uh, the organizer has a team, a speaking curating team that they come alongside and start giving advice as well. So you're working with a coach like me, but you're also working with the organizer's team. And everybody's now weighing in to try to make it the best talk possible. Um, so like there, I believe there's four steps of a TEDx talk. Step number one is up the idea and the application. Step two is getting ready to do the talk. Step three is the talk. And step four is the marketing of the talk. 
Right. So it, it seems to me that the different organizations, because as you know, I applied to a few and ended up with the one, the TEDx Oak Lawn in Dallas, which was exactly perfect for me with the tabula rasa blank slate. You know, it was perfect for my Masogi Method talk. Um, but it seems as though each organization is very different. Yeah, um, exactly. What we, well, what was your experience as you applied to different organizers? What did you observe about that? You're absolutely right. Yeah, well, I applied to one that was very tech focused in the Bay Area, and they really were looking more for, are you the CEO of a big tech company? And that mm-hmm. they wanted to speak to that audience. And I thought, you know, even though I had had a tech startup earlier in my career, that just wasn't the message I wanted to spread, and it just didn't fit. And I applied to another one in a town where I grew up in New Jersey, and I thought that was kind of neat. So I looked for ones that really spoke to me and felt right in my gut. And when I found the one in Dallas, I thought, oh, the blank slate is exactly along the lines of what I'm trying to talk about, about reinventing, about redefining your possible, about knowing the impossible is not far away. And life is a blank slate and you can become anything you want to be. And so I resonated with them. They resonated with me. The process was fluid. It was wonderful. And as you said, once you've been accepted, they bend over backwards to help you and put on the best event possible. Well, exactly. And I think you answered the question. So the reality is TEDx organizers get at least four times more applications than they could accept, at least. So if they have room for 30 speakers, they're going to get 200 applications. And it's never personal. They're looking at what is this idea? Who is the speaker? And how does it fit into the other speakers we're inviting? Um, And the organizers uh, do a variety of kinds of TED events. Some are called standard events, and those are once a year, a variety of topics. But there's also themed events like yours, uh, Tabula Raza. Uh, So it's a certain theme. And so the ideal is I really advise my clients at least five to 10 applications should be out there all at the same time. just to up the possibilities of getting accepted, but also to really what you explained, Jody, which is to see where you're mutually resonating with each other and how is there a fit? Yeah. And so when you're delivering your TEDx talk or you're coming up with it, how much should you involve the audience or should you pose questions to the audience or are you just up there really telling a story, giving your idea, telling a story, giving your idea? It's a, it's a perfect question. You're almost thinking ahead of time, what's going to be the feel of my talk? One thing it really should not be is an academic lecture. Notice it's not called a TED lecture. It's a TED talk. Exactly. So it should be very personal, conversational. Um, I have definitely seen a lot of TED and TEDx talks that are inter- including the audience in a variety of ways. Remember, the original acronym is Technology Entertainment Design. Mm-hmm. And if, since then, of course, they've expanded it to hundreds and hundreds of topics beyond that. But they're looking for an idea, and then how are you going to make it engaging? And there's many ways to get, make it engaging. What I will say as a storytelling coach is that storytelling by nature is an, is an interactive, engaging experience because we're reacting, as I said earlier, to that primal experience. But I've seen speakers do stuff with the audience. I remember seeing a TED Talk. I forget the title of it, but there was a balloon bouncing around the audience, and it was part of the idea, the point. There's humor. There's performance art. I think They love stuff that is outside the box. Really, if you think about it, TED is a Masogi. <laughs> you, know? you know, I thought of that. Yeah. 
I think you're right. right. Yeah, it yeah, feels it like it. Mm-hmm, because every TED or TEDx talk, I mean, explain the difference between a TED and a TEDx, but it, I agree with you. They're all Masogis because they're all these new ways of looking at things, new ways of going outside your comfort zone. Uh, you know, I, uh, unique ideas we're spreading that really make you think. And so it, they really all yeah. are Masogis. But t- explain to the listeners the difference between a TED and a TEDx. So it's really in the eyes of the marketplace, it's exactly the same in terms of credibility. So TED organized many, many years ago and uh, look to be, and they do an annual conference that's, it's always filmed. It's always a filmed event in front of a live audience. Short talks uh, used to be 18 to 22 minutes. Now the typical ideal is 12 to 15. Um, So the TED organization, they do one or two global conferences a year to be in the audience is by lottery and the ticket prices range from $8,500 to $50,000 a seat and it's by invitation only. (laughs) So around 2008, they said to themselves, look, you know, we're all about ideas. We're a nonprofit. We're trying to spread ideas. We need to get more people an opportunity. So in a sense, they franchise themselves. So creating TEDxX simply means independently organized local TED events. So there's all the same rules, the same branding, the logo, the red carpet, the three camera shoot, the live audience, the short talk. But there are TEDx organizers all over the world. There's thousands of them. Every year, they have to reapply to their license from the TED organization. TED will always be looking, did you meet our guidelines? Did you break our rules? Is it all great? And there's some organizers that are more um, experienced than others. Some come and go. Um, and, uh, so the difference is minimal in the, again, in the eyes of the marketplace that you did a TEDx talk is of equal credibility if you did, than if you did a TED talk. Um, I can understand what, that because it's, it, it is very hard to land, to land one. It really is. And only about 50% of organizers even accept self-nominating. Uh, so in many, many cases, it's by invitation only. Um, and about half the organizers, more or less, allow you via their website to submit an application. And that application has to be done just right. And even then, there's layers. Sometimes you submit an application, and you, that, and that gets you invited to an audition, and then a phone call, and then, then maybe you get the yes. Um, so it depends on each organizer. But the basic guidelines, procedures, branding, and credibility, I'd say, would be the same. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking of a TEDx talk, I'm, I'm going to be speaking at a healthcare conference coming up, and, and they want me to speak in a section of the conference, there'll be about 2,500 people there, that they're doing sort of TEDx-type talks. And I'm finding more and more at conferences that I'm going to and speaking at that they're doing this, the, these short talks that, because, I mean, how, like you said, we're on information overload. How long can someone sit in an audience and watch a PowerPoint presentation, which, you know, you, as you were explaining to me when I was preparing for my TEDx talk, slides alone are not necessarily a good thing in a TEDx talk. Look, for years, there's been this phrase out there, death by PowerPoint, right? But <laughs> right. they're still going on because businesses are stuck in the 20th century model, which is, you know, we better show PowerPoints and we're just going to read the slides because this is what's expected. It's not. It's not. TED, Steve Jobs, and other things, even like Twitter, they have, look, We have reduced attention spans, but they've also done a great job of how can you get your central message distilled and polished to a core one idea? I think it's fantastic because how many times, especially growing up in earlier days, did we hear these 30 minute, 40 minute, two hour talks or sermons or whatever? And we're like, I got it. Why are you still talking? Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Stop talking. 
<laughs> so, so when you're doing a, a speech, it doesn't even have to be a TEDx talk. How important is a call to action? Oh, very important. So I think a, a, a great presentation will definitely have a story. Uh, many t- cases start with a story as, you know, start with why. Why do you do this work? So look at a great presentation in components. Storytelling. Um, how about what Ted would call outside evidence or scientific background or whatever is going to support the idea itself, the thing you're there to teach or share. And then you're going to illustrate the ideas, explore the ideas. Then you want to give them what I call tools or takeaways. The three things you could do now to move into your Masogi. Give me the actual advice and the steps to take. And at the end is the call to action. The call to action could be many, many things, but it's, it's helping me. You've convinced me about something. You've informed me. Maybe you've inspired me as a speaker. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to walk out of that room or that hall. I've heard you as a great talk uh, speaker. And I'm going to forget. I need to go to the bathroom, get a cup of coffee. We forget. But if, if a speaker says, you know what, before you get in your car, I want you to take out a post-it and put on your rear view mirror, you are fine. You are more than fine. (laughs) And every time you look in the rear view mirror, you're no longer looking into your past. You're looking into your future and you stop talking. And then a beautiful, but so you give them something tangible. A lot of my clients say, and it's wonderful. They say, I want to start a movement. And that's a blessing to hear that. But a movement without showing me how to do it is not going to go anywhere. It's the same thing as saying, you know, Jody, Jody says to Jeffrey, let's go out and get a bite, but we never set the date. Mm-hmm. And so it never happens. So a call to action tells me what to do next. The simple step I could do today or tomorrow. Yep. And that's what I did in mine. And so that was a lot of your guidance. How does someone deal with the nerve factor, whether it's a TEDx, which is huge. I think when I speak in front of conferences now, I'm pretty comfortable, even if it's 600 to 1,000 to 2,500 people. But the TEDx was definitely, uh, I definitely had the nerves and I had to find a warm, this is kind of weird, but I had to find a warm room to like mm-hmm. make my body temperature down. <laughs> so <laughs> what would you recommend for the whole nerve factor? It's a question that I don't think is easily answered. I've learned in my life that if anybody ever said to me, oh, don't feel that way, I resented them. Or they say, you know, don't be scared, don't be nervous. I'm like, well, you're not living what I'm living. So I think the first step I would say is welcome to normal. In fact, if people say to me, I'm not nervous, I, I think to myself, there's something odd here and you may be about to take a fall. So nerves are fine. So I think, I guess the first thing is give yourself permission to be nervous. It's normal. And then one thing I like to say is we've survived worse than that. I think it's practice, 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 knowing it cold. I know for me having a circle of dear, dear friends who are rooting for me, knowing they're rooting and even praying for me means a lot. If you are spiritual, being in prayer or meditation and just back to the original advice, know what your mission is. Look, Nerves are normal. If it's too nervous, it may be because uh, we are too focused on ourselves, too focused. And when you could refocus yourself on your mission, I'm here to be of service. What I have to say could change somebody's life anywhere in the world. I may never even know it. That helps settle the nerves too. I think some deep breaths, uh, hydrating, There's all sorts of things you could do. I think getting a coach, somebody who is cheering you on, who has your back, especially for, I've seen TEDx organizers, even though they're well-meant during the rehearsal day and they throw a curveball. 
uh, half the time because the speaker didn't follow directions. But what would you add to that? You do a lot of speaking, Jody. What? How I do. do. You, in your early days, what did you do to deal with your nerves? I try to make direct eye contact with everyone in the audience and tell myself I'm just talking to one person at a time. Mm. And for some reason, that works really well for me. And I just spoke at um, UC Santa Barbara as one of the keynotes at a career day. It had about maybe four or 500 people. And I made a point of looking at everyone in the eye and, you know, sharing my message with them. And I felt it, it relaxed me because I just told myself I'm having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So good. Yeah, it's hard to beat that, isn't it? Because you're looking somebody in the eye. Now, have you had situations where the lights on you are so bright you really can't make eye contact? What do yes. you do about that? I still pretend I'm doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> during my TEDx talk, um, it was that um, scenario where, you know, they have three cameras on you and the lights. And, and I really couldn't see more than the front row, but I made sure I looked in the direction of every row and every, every seat. As, as best I could. And I just find for me that works well because I like to talk to people, not at people. Exactly. It's not a lecture, it's a conversation. Exactly. So what was the, do you remember, what was the first professional speech you ever gave? You know, it's funny you ask that because I was just <clears throat> talking about this the other day. I was 18 years old and I was at a, a weekend workshop and we had to go out into nature to find something that represented who we were and get up in front of a group of 200 people, say what our nature piece was and how it represented us. And I had never spoken in front of anyone other than, you know, sports and stuff in high school or whatever. So I went out and I got this mustard weed, you know, those sticky green stalks with the clumps of yellow that are all over the hillsides. Sure. And I was so nervous, Jeffrey. I was shaking, shaking. I'm sure my voice was shaking. I get up there and I'm like, oh, well, I'm just doing it. And I lifted it up above my head and I said, I am light. <laughs> because, because the mustard weed is a bunch of yellow clumps going in all directions. And then I went on to explain why I felt like I was light and I spread light hmm. and stuff like that. That's very good. Did that help? Yes. Um, it Burn. helped to have a prop. <laughs> and uh, once I just exclaimed it, you know, I, I was able to kind of get into the conversation more. But it was, it was very nerve-wracking, and that's why I wanted to ask you your advice on nerves. And over, over time, I've become very comfortable um, in speaking in front of people because I really care. And like you say, you really want to help affect positive change, and, and you want to give back and help. And so you do become, that, start, that does become part of your mentality. And so it, you do get less and less nervous the more you speak, for sure. And you know that. Well, well, and just to cue off that exactly, the last piece of advice in this regard that I think both you and I might offer is you got to just do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. And if you're getting ready for a big talk, like a keynote or a TEDx or something, the best thing you can do is do the talk three times a day, if it's relatively short talk anyway, in right. front of a variety of people. I don't care if you do it in front of your dog. One of my TEDx <laughs> speakers, Colleen O'Grady, we were in our last, this was hilarious, Jody, uh, we were our last 
last practice session, we did a video Skype. She's in Houston. I'm outside Philly. And she was doing a practice session, totally memorized. I'm looking to give her feedback. Well, she happened to be babysitting her daughter's yellow lab. And the yellow lab got into the room and kept running back and forth every time Colleen tried to make a point. Well, she was roaring with laughter. I was roaring with laughter because the dog, there ain't no TEDx interest there. That dog was like, why are you not paying attention to me? And so, you know, our dogs, our cats don't really give a damn. They just want to be petted and fed. And that could make us humble. But anyway, do the talk a lot. And that will also settle the nerves because you're doing it in front of different people. Right. So you actually put on a TEDx event, didn't you, recently? Yeah, I had the honor of partnering with a local uh, TEDx uh, organizer, and I got to, I wanted to do it both professionally and creatively. And so uh, I paid a very high fee to help support the organization, and I also paid for the set, the staging, the lighting, the sound, and a reception afterwards. They um, provided, of course, the team and the cameras and everything. So it's a partnership. And one could do this kind of thing. It's not inexpensive. But I uh, got to be the host, the MC, and I selected the speakers, of course, with their approval. And uh, seven out of 10 speakers were people I was connected to who were somehow, this was my theme. It was called Fireside. Mm-hmm. And it was 10 speakers, all of whom somehow used the power of story to make a difference in the world. In fact, my tagline was, TEDx Fireside, illuminate the world. I gave myself oh. a pat on the back from that one. Love that. Um, and it was a really wonderful event. And I, it was just to have that experience. I wanted to get inside the whole thing so that when I coach people, I could answer very specifically out of direct experiences. This is how it works. This is what to expect. And... Um, so, I have to say, it, it really increased my respect for these TEDx organizers. You know, it's all volunteer. They're not allowed to be paid. Yeah, well, I know that even as a, as a speaker, you know, you pay all your way in rehearsals, yeah. hotel, and, but, but it's so exciting. It's, it's so, so exciting. exciting. You're just glad, glad to do it. So you're also, I wanted to um, move on a little bit before we wrap up to some of the things you're involved with now, like, like the Unforgettable Speaker Training Program. Yeah. In fact, uh, my, if I, may, I, may I give the website for that? Sure, um, absolutely. It's, it, sure. It's www.unforgettablespeakertraining.com. And uh, that's just information if, if anybody chooses to work with me. The focus of that is everybody wants to take their speaking to the next level. Um, somehow, a lot of my clients want to, want to go for TEDx talks, but not everybody. Um, they just want to get... So, uh, I have a client who was, interestingly, Jody, she was an aerialist with uh, Ringling Brothers. And she did incredible things for years, but she never spoke in public. And she's a little older now. And she says, oh, my God, this is, this is more scary than going up on the high, high wire. And I'm like, I doubt it. No. Um, <laughs> but so and she just wants to get going. One of the things we produce as part of the program is a one, twice a year speaker showcase where people ca- get to come to a place outside Philly. We set up a professional stage and we film them doing a 10-minute TED-like talk in order to get them comfortable to being on stage. And that gives them, um, you know, video collateral showing them in action in front of an audience. That's um, so doing that, uh, a lot of my work is either helping people with their storytelling, creating a presentation, or going for and doing their TEDx talks. And, and I just love doing it. 
That's awesome. And you're so amazing. So can you, um, if someone wants to get in touch with you and learn more about working with you, do you have any special deals you want to offer or? Yeah. If they go through unforgettablespeakertraining.com and my sales team could discuss the program, uh, people are also welcome to email me directly, uh, which is Jeffrey at RTIR.com. Uh, Jeffrey's with a G. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffrey at RTIR.com. And I'd be happy to uh, give you a free consultation, anything you want to do just to find out if there's a match. Um, and, and again, that, and when I say to find out if there's a match, it really is a collaboration. And I am a big believer that we all need coaches for a variety of stuff, whether sports, parenting, and definitely speaking. Um, mm-hmm. And I would love to work with people. That's awesome. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for being on the show. I have had so much fun getting to know you, working with you. I admire your energy and your positive. What I love, one of the things I loved about working with you is that when you would give criticism, it wasn't criticism. It was very collaborative. It was, well, how about this? And maybe let's look at it that way. And have you thought about this? And, and what other things in your life could play into that? And it was just so much fun. Well, thank you for that. You know, I, I just don't believe in the, you know, the, uh, who's the guy in American Idol or that sort of tears people down as part of the thing. Oh, I just Simon. do. I, <laughs> Simon, I, I find that absolutely abhorrent. I think when we are putting ourselves out there, when we're taking a misogi by being a public speaker, yes. not to have somebody being your cheerleader saying you can do it, of course, giving you helpful criticism, but to, to tear you apart is just, I, I can't, I can't abide it. It's not, yeah. not helpful. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much. You you have inspired so many listeners that have probably been very nervous, but I hope all of you listening now are willing to take a step forward and get out there and do public speaking, even if it's before a small team at your office or or a group in your, your community. Get out there and do it. It's really rewarding. It's exciting. And when you see that you can affect positive change in people's lives, it feels so great. So, Jeffrey, thank you so much for being part of the Masogi Method, and I can't wait to just keep in touch with you. Well, thank you, Jody, and thank you for all you do. You make me proud, and thank you for all the difference you're making to your listeners. This is just great. Thank you, and for all you listeners, thank you for joining me on the Masogi Method. I'm Jody B. Miller, and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%, APR 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 0.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 33. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.